your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Nebraska leads it by 9, 63-54, long three by Wheeler, missed it. Rebound by Cam Mack, he got hit in the draw. He comes down with a loose ball somehow. Here comes Cam Mack. He wisely leaves it off, Bird! Highlight field, top ten, here it comes. Unbelievable! Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. We met before the show. I didn't want to continue. Nate insisted that we continue. So we're going to continue. We're going to do a show. <laughs> our, our pioneer ingenuity, our toughness on display right now. This is, this is the stuff that settled the land. This is the stuff that's going to get us through the next three hours. So in the Birmingham Bowl, <laughs> there was a 90-some-odd minute delay to weather in Alabama. And they have since dispelled the rumor that this was the case. Uh, but ap- apparently somebody tweeted out that during that meeting, Boston College was willing to just fold up shop and head back to Chestnut Hill. They did, they, they did not want to play the bowl game. But Luke, Fis- Luke Fickle, uh, head coach for Cincinnati, insisted that the game being played. The game was played and still is being played. Boston College never really returned out of the locker room. Yeah. They're losing 31-6. to Boston College PR guy came out and said that that never happened. But man, could you imagine if that, if that was seriously the case? Well, I mean, you say that rumor was dispelled. I haven't seen anything on the football field that would dispel it <laughs> definitively. I mean, BC has looked totally disinterested. Cincinnati dominating the game, as you mentioned about. The only thing to go right for Boston College was a blocked field goal that they took to the house. Otherwise, it's been a garbage game. It's not been a great testament for BC Eagles football. And it's a game so uncompelling that ESPN has switched away. You know, it's rare that once a game starts on a network, it stays on a network. Hell or high water, right? ESPN says, you know what? This BC Cincinnati game's terrible. Give us the Vols in Indiana. <laughs> Indiana bas- Indiana football. Not Indiana basketball. Indiana football. Or even Indiana baseball, for that matter. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Indiana football running a game off to another network. I am intrigued to see how this game goes, though, between Indiana and Tennessee. Uh, this would be a great win for Tom Allen if, sure. if he could find a way to knock off an SEC team in the Gator Bowl. Tennessee has had a very up and down, mostly down year. Um, under Coach Pruitt, but uh, this is the only, the only two games scheduled today with Boston College Cincinnati. Cincinnati's legit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am I am not looking forward to that game very much next year when Nebraska plays those guys. No, it, it's really a lose lose situation because that's a program that's done a lot of winning that expects to win. They were in the AAC championship game this year and uh, obviously Luke Fickle has been to Memorial Stadium. He was Ohio State's interim head coach the one time Nebraska beat him in uh, 2011. So nobody on their side is going to be starstruck. They've played at the Horseshoe. They've played in tough environments. And even even if you win that game, even if you pick up a victory, doesn't matter if Cincinnati is ranked, and right now since he is ranked 21st, you're not going to get much national credit for that win. So really a lose-lose situation. I think the uh, good news is, you know, assuming Nebraska is able to beat Purdue game one, which is an assumption, a, a, a pretty big assumption the way that this past year went, but you'll have a conference win, and then maybe you'll get a little respect for then also beating a good Cincinnati program. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the bowl season is great. This is a good time of the year if you're a football fan. Of course, the NFL starts their playoffs uh, this weekend, and bowl games were in full swing yesterday. Coming up on the show, speaking of NFL, we'll break down some of those matchups with our friend Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. We are off the air tomorrow with Husker Hoops, so this – Uh, in theory, is our last show of the week. So uh, a couple of times this week we've had to call an audible on Ian and move him from Friday to Thursday, and he's happy to oblige again here today. So we'll talk some NFL here in the first hour. In the second hour of the program, Nebraska women's basketball takes the stage as 
head coach Amy Williams and Matt Coatney in studio taking your calls from 7 to 8 o'clock with our Nebraska women's basketball radio hour from 7 to 8. Nate and I rejoin you at 8, and we'll talk to our friend Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Speaking of Husker hoops, they take on Rutgers tomorrow over at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Head coach Fred Hoiberg had a meeting with the media following the workout today, and we'll give – uh, get the, inside the mind of the head coach and what he had to say today following the workout and how the team came off that really tricky time to navigate, Nate. It's 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 always a, a funky time of the year if you're a Power 5 program because wacky stuff always happens, not just in Lincoln losing to North Dakota, uh, but look at Iowa State losing to, you know, according to Ken Palm, the worst team in <laughs> In, uh, in in Division One basketball in Florida A and M at home, yeah. when you're a 26 point favorite or something like that, it's weird things happen. The Huskers end up uh, on the wrong end of that once again. You think of you know the teams that have beaten Nebraska in the past this time of the year, uh, teams that I don't even remember where their campuses are, <laughs> but it, it happens. And hopefully the team can kind of move past that and and uh, jump into Big Ten play with some authority, much like they did you know in, early, in mid-December. Well, as we discussed on Monday, it was impressive that Nebraska was able to overcome bad shooting because Nebraska is a team that's pretty reliant on its offense. It's not a shut-down defensive team, and yet they played pretty good defense against Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. Yeah, they're not a they're not a juggernaut, but they came out with great effort on the defensive end, especially in the first half, and were able to overcome some shooting and then get their legs under them and, and get locked in to hold on to that victory. So just the fact that they were able to be focused enough to put forth a good effort especially defensively against Corpus Christi that that's a good place to start for this team uh, because as you've said it's so tough for a team to maintain focus on the front side of the Christmas break and then to pick it back up once you come back from Christmas and the Huskers didn't do it on the front side but they were able to pick it back up once they returned things are going to ramp up uh, very severely now with the uh, Big Ten play and 18 straight conference games for the Huskers to uh, to finish the regular season so we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about what coach Hoyberg had to say following the workout this morning of course you want to be a part of the show 866 husker one the number 866-487-5371 that's the number to our woodhouse auto family hotline bringing you more choices and brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is woodhouse this is our first live show of 2020 i hope you all had a very nice safe and enjoyable new year and we get anxiously started a, another year here on the husker sports network and our first broadcast of the year again tomorrow between nebraska and rutgers uh, with husker hoops over at pinnacle bank arena it was a busy day date new year's eve new year's day with bowl games some very compelling matchups um and, and some big 10 teams on display starting uh yesterday with uh minnesota taking on auburn michigan taking on alabama and then of course the granddaddy of them all the rose bowl with wisconsin and oregon obviously the story today is minnesota uh they they lose a hard-fought game to wisconsin their season seemed to be unraveling after that undefeated start but to bounce back and get a win against auburn i think is is pretty telling of what type of job pj fleck can do and and to me it's scary i don't know that that team goes anywhere we've made fun of pj fleck probably more than any one individual head coach yes in 2019 on this show but you know he's proven to people that he may be a joke to you but he's not a joke to his to his players and to the people of of Minneapolis, that state of Minnesota. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I never even really gave them much of a shot unfairly to Minnesota just because of what they did at Purdue last year. Mm-hmm. Another team that was in a similar situation, there was a lot of rumblings about Jeff Brom taking that Louisville job. Purdue seemed to be the up-and-coming team in the Big Ten, not entirely dissimilar to Minnesota. And it was clear after that first quarter that Minnesota wasn't going to lay down. That was going to be an easy game for Auburn. Auburn gets a big kick return. Other than that, Minnesota, I felt like was in control that game and put the nation on notice that this team is no joke it speaks to the depth of the big 10 conference you know the big 10 sec matchup there you're talking about you know a a auburn team that probably profiles as the fourth best big or sec team fourth or fifth and you're talking about a minnesota team that 
is a little farther down the Big Ten's pecking order, and yet Minnesota played really well against him. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't out of nowhere. They were able to get a big performance from their wide receivers, and and they were able to match up with them athletically, and and all those skill position guys for Minnesota uh, got the job done against Auburn, and they were able to find their rhythm back. I wondered what they would be offensively after their offensive coordinator was hired away by Penn State, but the offense was just fine yesterday against a very athletic Auburn defense. So Minnesota is in good shape moving forward. Morgan's back. They've got a running back back. They've got one of the two wide receivers back. And yeah, I I made a lot of fun of PJ Fleck. I I didn't buy all the slogans and and all the sayings and and so often when a guy does that, my thought is, well, what are you hiding? What what are you trying to redirect my attention from? But the fact of the matter is, dude can coach. And they are a strong, fundamentally sound team. They've got a they had a lot of weapons at the skill positions. Minneapolis is a good place to recruit to. You've got quite a few good players in that area, so it all sets up to where they can be a factor in the West. There, you know, you wonder how what the ceiling is for them, but. They can sure win the Big Ten West, and it looks like P.J. Fleck has them on a track to do just that. Talked a lot of college football to open up the show. We switch gears now. Welcome on our first guest of the night. We talk with Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, playoffs start this weekend, man. This is what we've been waiting for, some great matchups. How do you think the field sets up this year? I mean, the, the field sets up really well. And, you know, just look at some of these matchups. It's it's great. Like I seriously cannot just, I just can't wait. I mean, so many different storylines, including like, is it going to be Tom Brady's last game? You know, he doesn't have a contract, um, you know, in new England after this year, can't be franchised. What happens to him? Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill's story has been amazing. You got the saints who look as good as anyone. Um, you know, so many good teams like the chiefs and the 49ers on a bye. I mean, it is, uh, just the actual football, I think is going to be awesome. And obviously I spent a lot of my time on the coaching search and stuff side of it, uh, which, you know, has been entertaining as well, but the actual football on the field is going to be great. No question about it. Let's start with the first matchup, particularly with the road team in Buffalo. They've lived in new England shadow for so long. What's the feeling at a Buffalo right now entering these playoffs after going 10 and six? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say probably as much, you know, as you would imagine as much confidence um, as they've had in some time. I mean, they are, they are a really good team. And one thing they do is, you know, they, they force teams to play pretty ugly, right? I mean, they force teams to play like they are, which is tough and kind of scrappy and physical, um, you know, and, and all of that. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's a team that it, it's never going to wow you with how they look. It's never going to wow you with the kind of skill guys, but they're going to run the ball and they're going to play hard. And um, it's a really bad matchup for anyone. So my guess just as far as how that game goes is um, it's really just going to be probably a one score game and whoever makes the play at the end. And, you know, we've seen a lot of promise from Josh Allen, their young quarterback, but is he going to be the one to make the play to win the game? Um, You know, these are kind of things I'm curious about. I mean, there's such a good young group of quarterbacks. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to see and to see them kind of mature and come into their own before our very eyes. No question. And then, of course, the nightcap on Saturday, the Titans at the Patriots. You mentioned Tom Brady. What's the feeling in New England? Because this is the first time in a while they've had to play uh, on the wild card weekend. 12-4, you lose to Miami uh, to finish the year at home. What's the camp in New England saying right now? You know, it, and it's not just the re- The record's fine. Like, if, if I'd never watched them play and I knew the record, I would say, okay, they got a really good shot. But you know, they lost to one of the worst teams in the NFL in the NFL last week and didn't look good doing it. I think that's what's kind of, you know, most noteworthy is Tom Brady did not look very good. And it's been a long time, a really long time, since Brady has gone out there and just not played well. And I know, you know, he's frustrated at kind of the lack of separation from the receivers. Definitely get all that. But it's not like he's playing great either, you know. So that's – so. I mean, can Brady kind of put it together and string it together, and can they play enough defense to get them to where they need to be? 
you know, I'm not so sure about that. And their record when they don't have a buy is, you know, not very good. I mean, I, I definitely think we could be seeing a changing of the guard in the NFL. Yeah, then I think the people that have been around the sport for a while – been kind of waiting to see if and when the Patriots run would come to a close. And then I think to me, the, the excitement of the playoffs really comes in the NFC wildcard and, and the NFC picture. And I think you can mix and match the seedings of these teams and, and, you, and you're going to yeah. get a different result regardless. When you look at just the landscape of the NFC right now, how many of these teams could realistically make the Super Bowl? Is it far-fetched to say all of them? No, I think all of them because, you know, we got a good game in New Orleans on Sunday. It's the first game on Sunday. And, you know, the Vikings are not favored, obviously. However, they got a really good team, and we haven't seen them play with Dalvin Cook healthy, with all the receivers healthy in, I don't know, maybe the whole year. You know, and so the record is what it is, but Cook has rested two weeks. Alexander Madison's rested two weeks. Everyone rested last week. The receivers, you know, Thielen missed a lot of the year because of a hamstring. He's back. Diggs is fine. We're actually going to see them at full strength. I think they're really good. Like, if they beat the Saints on Sunday, I would be only mildly surprised because I think they are really good, and you're right. I mean, I think any of those teams could get to the Super Bowl. It'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. We've been waiting for this for a long time, and I don't even think the seedings really matter in this one. It's going to be just win and move on and who can survive at the end. Talking with Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. Ian, you mentioned the coaching searches, and this is not a fun time of the year to be you in this regard. Um, let's just start first with a situation that we, we don't really know yet, and that's down in Dallas. That's the one that everyone wants to know about. Yeah, and, and you know, as of right now, uh, we're still waiting, and I don't know – you know, when there's going to be some finality from Dallas, I don't know when they're going to decide who their head coach is. I highly doubt it's going to be, um, it's going to be Jason Garrett, but you know, I mean, I guess we, I guess stranger things have happened. So, you know, the main thing is they're going into a meeting uh, should be at some point later today. Um, Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett and Stephen Jones are going to meet and discuss things and, they're going to come out with an answer. You know, every expectation is that it's Garrett needing a new job, but you know, it's been four days since the season ended and there's still no resolution. The one thing I would say is, you know, I don't think they've missed on any head coaching candidates they've wanted yet. I mean, you know, probably would have talked to Ron Rivera, obviously not going to now. Um, but I think, you know, even though it's been four days, you know, I don't get the sense that they've literally missed on anything. And it'll be a big uh, point of emphasis moving forward for them if, if they do ins- decide to to switch directions. And, and something you put out a, a little while ago uh, on Twitter, Urban Meyer. I think every coaching s- staff in America, anytime an, an opening college, pro, high school, whatever, he's going to be the first name brought up. Obviously strong ties in Ohio with Cleveland. How serious is this right now? It sounds like not very serious, actually. Um, and, you know, I've seen some reports about you know, interest in Urban Meyer. I know that he's had people call, or let me say this. I know people have called on his behalf. It's unclear who made those people call, but there definitely have been phone calls. And, you know, I just, I mean, owner Jimmy Haslam said today they're going to focus on people with NFL experience. I would expect that to kind of win the day over there. I mean, had John Dorsey remained employed, then potentially they could have looked at Urban Meyer. But, you know, with Paul DePodesta running the search, I'll just say I would be extremely surprised if Urban Meyer was involved on any level. What's the direction of Cleveland after Dorsey walks? I mean, wh- wh- what are they trying to clean up? You know, I-, I think what they are trying to do is get on the same page with what direction they're going. And, you know, they've had – think about it. I mean, each – you know, they've had a lot of head coaches and a lot of GMs, which is just crazy how many they've had. But every time they've done it, they've done kind of one, then the other, then one, then the other. And they've had basically a different vision for their franchise each time. What they're going to try to do this time, try to actually get it right, is, you know, have everyone kind of on the same page, thinking the same thing, using analytics, having a good process, making sure that, you know, they do things the right way because I think the last time they had a search, you know, they they basically went through the whole process. They realized that Kevin Stefanski was a really strong candidate, and then they just decided to hire Freddie Kitchens instead. Um, and how they basically just 
completely ditched the process last time is how they ended up in this mess in the first place. So I think, you know, finding a good process and sticking to it is probably the most important thing. Yeah, very well said. Well, there's there's one more piece um, that, that, that we still get to find out and watch the game last night between George and Baylor with Matt Rule. Obviously, a lot of conversation with him to New York. What what direction is, is New York going? I know Josh McDaniels is always a, a name that's brought up about every coaching search as well. Where do you think yeah. New York ends up? Well, I think Matt Rule is, you know, very high uh, on New York's list. I think he's uh, also extremely high on the Carolina Panthers list. Uh, and, you know, we'll see when he ends up, um, you know, when he ends up going. Obviously, there are people who think he'll stick to college. There are people who think he'll make the jump. There's been a lot of interest in college coaches recently. Not everyone has made the jump. Um, so I, I I honestly don't know what Matt Rule is going to do. I just know that, um, you know, the Panthers and the Giants are extremely interested in the services, as they should be, because to me, if you're going to get a college coach, it should be someone who builds a program rather than someone like, say, Urban Meyer, who just sort of out-recruits everyone. Yeah. All right, man, what's your dream Super Bowl matchup? If you could pick two teams to watch in the big game, who are you watching? Oh, man. Um, oh, man. Um, you know, I'd be curious if the – I guess the Ravens would kind of be – I think about it from my standpoint, like who would just be fun to have around for the whole week. The Ravens would be a lot of fun. Um, I would enjoy that. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I could pick literally any team <laughs> from the NFC. Literally any – maybe the Niners – do that one again. Um, there's there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of fun teams this year. I just I, I wish we could kind of fast forward to it, you know. Yeah, no question. Ian Rapport, the NFL Network. Well, I'll get started this weekend, man. Thanks so much for being flexible and switching days on us once again. Enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks so much. All right, no problem. Great talking to you as always. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. It'll be Doyle to initiate with 2.07 to go, third quarter. Baseline right, knocked away, and Leah Brown gets a steal. Reddit, solo with Marshall, and Leah Brown scores to give Nebraska a six-point lead. That's a huge play. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Huskers four-point lead in the ball. Quickly ahead, running the floor. Kayla Mershaw catches the ball, goes up and scores off the 50-foot pass from Sam Hybe. With the head coach, Amy Williams. Crunch time now at East Lansing. Eliley deep left side. Screen and roll. Whitey finds Eliley. Huskers lead it by three. Hannah Whitey, she assists, and Eliley has nine. Great setup by Hannah and Nicaea. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. And it is 2020, the first time we've had a Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show in the new decade. Amy Williams is here with us, and uh, she will be here with us for the entire hour. We'll take your calls, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. And uh, we are in the meat grinder of Big Ten play. Huskers had two games last week. They went 1-1 one and one with a home win over Iowa, then a tough overtime road loss at Michigan State. And then Nebraska got home in time for New Year's Eve. So obviously the question, Amy Williams, is what did you do to ring in the new year? Watch the little game film. <laughs> so you and I did the same thing. I should have called you up and said, we should just do this together. Because I I mean, I lead an exciting life. I tell you what, I came home and <laughs> watched game film on New Year's Eve. You know, that was kind of strange. You know? Yeah, I did get to have dinner with some friends um, here in Lincoln, and it was really just a good time. But was home um, in time to ring in the new year and, and uh, pulled out the computer and, and watched some film and, and um, just uh, trying to get ready for the next game. Well, we'll have uh, Coach Williams here for the full hour. Nebraska takes on Minnesota Saturday evening at 5 p.m. at Pinnacle Bank Arena. And uh, to help preview that game, my good friend Corbu Status from the Minnesota Radio Network will be on in, uh, later on in our show. Uh, Corbu has the most unpronounceable name <laughs> in uh, radio. And so uh, it, uh, it, I will feel good that I've been able to pronounce his name correctly. His color analyst, I'm a little shaky on, but hopefully I get that right, too. But he'll help preview that game. And then uh, Nebraska also stays home uh, to take on Wisconsin next Thursday night. So a good two-game homestand uh, for Nebraska. Uh, the good news for Nebraska is they're 0-0 zero zero, uh, in this new decade. 
And so turn the page after a tough uh, road loss in the last decade in a 78-70 overtime loss Tuesday afternoon, New Year's Eve day special. Uh, that was a game in which yeah, you had a great opportunity to win that game, Amy. It has to be tough knowing you led for over 32 minutes in the game, chance to get a quality road game, and it's got to be tough knowing you had that chance, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's really um, very tough, and uh, I think right now, you know, we've talked a lot since um, our first team meeting together as a group about um, just how you handle adversity, how you handle tough times, how you weather the stormy roads in a season is really what kind of defines your team and the character. And so I think um, how our team bounces back after that really um, tough loss on the road where we um, we feel like we had the game won and um, and just didn't uh, finish things off down the stretch and, and let it slip away there in overtime. And um, and so it'll be very important to, to really see how we kind of handle that and and how we bounce back. I look at numbers a lot, and I think sometimes we get too caught up in numbers. But my eyes told me rebounding was a big problem. Statistically, minus 15 after halftime, if you include third, fourth quarter in the overtime period. Um, Kate Kane had her ninth career double-double in the game. Second straight double-double with 10 points, 14 rebounds. But she got 40% of your 35 boards. You ended up minus 18 for the game on the glass. Uh, what changed at halftime? You're down minus three at the half in rebounding margin, but you know minus 15 after halftime. Did anything change in terms of uh, the rebounding in the second half? Do you think? Well, I thought that Michigan State was much more aggressive of crashing the boards um, in the in the second half there, and I thought that you know once they started to kind of see some success by really going aggressively to the boards, then it was just um, they were just on a mission, and um, there was a lot of you know physical physical play down low where I felt like you know we were right there, we had the ball kind of secured, we would get you know nudged or bumped or whatever, and then a loose ball, and they kind of were coming up with those hustles plays down the stretch and that's something that we've got to take care of and just get a whole lot tougher 866-HUSKER-1 866-487-5371 if you'd like to visit with Coach Williams tonight we're uh, reviewing last week the Huskers went 1-1 one one, a home game with Iowa and then uh, tough overtime road loss at Michigan State good first half at Michigan State combined with the Iowa game through the first six quarters of Big Ten play you were plus 25 in points off turnovers. I don't look at your team and think you're necessarily trying defensively to force turnovers like some teams are run and jump or or play really really tight aggressive man defense, but uh that has to make you feel pretty good through those six quarters that you you were plus 25 in points off turnovers, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a uh, um it's going to be an important factor for us this entire season is just, you know, us being able to really take care of the basketball and get good shots at it. You know, we can't afford to be given up, um, you know, points off of turnovers. But I think also just, um, you know, being able to play good, solid scouting report defense and kind of know and understand what the other teams are wanting and be able to try to take that away, make them do other things and um, and potentially force a few turnovers like that and transition those to some points. is It's going to be an important factor. If you'd like to visit with Coach Williams tonight, you can call us at 866-HUSKER-1 and the Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family. Bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience a difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Um, I thought the goal near where you were sitting at the Breslin Center uh, had something against Leah Brown, <laughs> your leading scorer. Uh, she had several, not even rattle outs. I mean, down and spit back out like a garbage disposal that had a problem. Couldn't get a break with those rims. I, I've never seen so many shots at seemingly were in the hoop and then rattle out but she ended up with 10 points but um she just kept going and that's what you, that's what you got to do do you ever talk to a player do you ever think i don't really want him to get in their head or do you think do i, I i'm going to encourage him to keep shooting what do you do in a situation where 
you know, one for four, four, one for five, one for six, one for seven, rattle out, rattle out, rattle out. What do you, what do, you do in a situation Yeah, like that? I mean, I think for us the biggest goal is are we getting good shots for our team? And, uh, you know, I think at this point in the season our kids know um, what those shots are for our team. And Leah um, going to the basket and getting some of the shots she got, those are great shots for our team. And so we'll take them every time. And yeah. we need her to continue to be aggressive and uh, to continue to take those shots. I thought Leah was pretty smart there before she got her first basket to go. Um, she got herself to the free throw line. And I think sometimes when you're struggling to see that ball go um, down, you know, getting yourself to the free throw line and watching a couple free throws maybe go in and, and trying to get into a little bit of a rhythm is is the way to go up about it. And um, I thought uh, she did a pretty good job of that when she was kind of struggling to see the ball go in. Um, but, um, you know, we just we missed some uncharacteristic free throws in that basketball game and just, you know, um, were uh, fairly aggressive trying to get there to the free throw line yeah. and, and just, you know, unfortunately, you know, picked probably um, the worst time to to not shoot our best from the free throw line. Well, after the first media break in the first quarter, you brought Trinity Brady into the game. And we haven't talked a lot about Trinity on the show this year. She missed the first 10 games, uh, had the concussion protocol. But she comes in against Michigan State, immediately gets a, a huge rebound, two steals, uh, a basket. I'm, I've given her a new nickname, okay? BG. That stands for Basketball GPS. <laughs> She always finds the basketball. It it just seems like there's some players that they just they're around the basketball when they're in the game. I don't know if I've ever seen a situation where a player has missed their first ten regular season games and then becomes an important part of your rotation as a freshman, but She's earning playing time for you with her defense, isn't she? She is. Um she is and you know she's been a um just really um, pleasant um, piece to the puzzle for our team just since she's been here, just um, being aggressive. You know, we we, uh, talk about, you know, aggressive rebounding. We give out, you know, in preseason practices the the leading rebounder from that day. And um, to have a freshman that's kind of continuously kind of coming away with that award, and particularly a freshman from the guard position um, that's winning your rebounding award and, um, you know, just finding a way to to kind of have a knack to uh, come away with balls. I mean, that's an important piece and so um, to have her return to the lineup and be getting healthy at about the same time that um, we lost Taylor Kissinger out of the lineup was was um, very very important just because of the things that Trinity brings to the table for us. Were you surprised when she had her first game against Manhattan that she looked as comfortable as she did out there? I mean that's 10 games you don't play and here you are. You're out there at a major college basketball game. I mean, you watch her in practice, and the average fan doesn't. But were you surprised how comfortable she looked out there? Uh, not too surprised just because we see that all yeah. the time. But um, but ultimately, you know, I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, she just played her third college <laughs> basketball game ever um, the other day. And, and, you know, so sometimes, you know, we're, um, you know, I thought she played very good minutes against Iowa and against uh, Michigan State. But, you know, kind of late down the stretch there, there was one play where she kind of dug after um, uh, a ball in the backcourt. And then we ended up giving up a transition three and and you know those kinds of things are the type of mistakes that um that young players make when they're three games into their um college basketball career and so you got to keep reminding yourself that you know um because she she really limits those types of mistakes and she finds ways to kind of make plays for our team and stuff it's easy to forget um that she's so new into her career 866-HUSKER-1 is the number if you'd like to Join us on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. Coach Amy Williams is with us for the full hour. I really thought, um, and we, we've talked a lot about three-point shooting, especially since Taylor Kissinger has it was announced she's going to miss the season, which in some ways I think is unfair to Taylor because she's much more than a three-point shooter. But in the Michigan State game, they held you to two of 17 uh, three-point shooting. Now, they are very highly ranked. Uh, they were seventh coming into that game in three-point field goal percentage defense. They give up just over 21%. So, you know, when you look at numbers like that, and I watch the game, 
Your team's two for 17. How much of that is your team? How much of that was Michigan State's defense? Was a little bit of both, do you think? I think it's just a little bit of both, Matt. I really do. I credit their defense because they make you play out of spacing, out of rhythm. Um, They don't. um, Anything that's just you're trying and wanting to do, they're very disruptive with that, with the way that they play aggressive defense. And so um, I credit that. But I also feel like, you know, um, for us, just um, our team being able to kind of settle in and continue to stay aggressive-minded, attacking footwork, um, you know, being shot ready even against a team that plays that type of defense. I thought, um, you know, we needed to do a better job of really just being ready to step up and hit those to make things a little bit easier for us. Huskers fell in overtime to Michigan State. Uh, Big effort from Sam Ivey, though. She was 6-for-6 from the floor in the first half. Got several and ones, 15 first-half points. Why was she so effective in the dribble penetration in the first half? Yeah, I just thought she was really aggressive. I mean, she was aggressive. She used um, incredible change of pace, change of speed, um, uh, change of direction, you know, kind of hesitations, you know, and just um, was was aggressive going at the rim and, and confident and, and finished and um, really, really gave us a spark there in the first half. Busy with Amy Williams here on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. Staying with three-point production a little bit, um, with Kissinger out, I've seen people like Izzy Bourne hit threes. Uh, I I don't think of her as a three-point shooter. Maybe I need to start to. I know Trinity Bray's looked pretty confident shooting it out there. Uh, Leah Brown, the first game after Taylor uh, was announced that she was going to be out, hit four threes in the game. Is this going to be a situation where you replace Kissinger's production by committee, or do do you want people to do – to step outside their comfort zone, or do you do you just need people on your team to do what they're capable of? Yeah, I think we're going to be just fine if we just have everybody that's currently um, available to play to us that just does what they're capable of because we have plenty of other players that are capable of scoring from behind the arc, um, attacking the basket, creating offense for themselves and for others. And um, so we, we don't feel like anybody needs to try to really step up and step outside themselves and and try to bring something to the table that they're not capable of. It's just a matter of um, being consistent and and uh, finding ways to commit to wanting to carry a little bit more of the load. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. And a couple of times uh, already in the past few weeks, I've gotten the opportunity to talk to Teddy. And the, I get the first I've, I get the first crack in 2020, Teddy, so I'm going to try hard not to screw this up. <laughs> well, I don't really want to tell you this, but I, I, I did a little – I cheated on you a little bit. I did a little BTN radio. But I mm-hmm. think you mean, you know, you get me before Greg, so you yeah. can definitely hold that over on him. Fair, fair enough. Uh, well, uh, you put out a tweet not that long ago that you were looking for uh, a suggestion on a show. I had watched mm-hmm. that particular show. Thoughts on the show you so far? Wow. Well, I am glad that you is not based on the life of you or me, because if so, we would be in prison and committed by now. But uh, it is fascinating to see how a guy who looks like a perfectly normal human being is actually a complete lunatic and uh, why he becomes uh, rather obsessed with a, a pretty young lady. So my wife and I have been watching it. It is incredibly bingeable. It's just like very entertaining trash, and I would recommend it to anyone out there who has Netflix. It's one of those shows that, that makes you feel so much better about your life after you're done watching it <laughs> to wonder uh, – how how this particular individual gets gets thrust in such a downward spiral it's pretty amazing but i'm glad you gave it a crack oh yeah i am glad too i mean these are the days i mean you know you want to watch football you want to be inside you want to be entertained and it's it, it, the games yesterday were entertaining and the show was entertaining so it was a it was a heck of a new year's day and in big 10 bowl games have been just very interesting and i and i feel like you know other than ohio state and the, and the way that that fin oh, let's just start there what what now that yeah. we're a week after the fact what, what do you think of when you think of that game i think of ben there are four things that happened and if any of the four things don't happen ohio state wins the football game so if sean wade goes in on that sack uh with his head up instead of his hel- helmet down 
and does not get targeting, I think Ohio State wins the game because that was a beautiful, you know, that beautiful blitz call and all that. Um, you know, collectively, J.K. Dobbins, if he can hold on to the football a couple times, then it's 24 nothing instead of 16 nothing. Mm-hmm. If Ohio State doesn't rough the putter, you know, Clemson doesn't have a 99-yard drive, so that's a really big one. And then if Chris Olave, um, you know, does what he's supposed to do on that final route, I mean, I feel for the kid, but he just kind of had a brain cramp there. Um, I think he, you know, if he runs the post, it's going to be a touchdown like it had been about five minutes earlier. So it's it's very unfortunate because this was the Big Ten's best chance uh, for a national title uh, since the last time Ohio State won. This is a great Big Ten team. They played well. They just had a couple weird things. Um, and of, I'm sorry, the, the one I should have mentioned scoop and score. front and center is the, yeah, is the scoop and score, which was a, a brutal call, which should have been, it should have taken replay 10 seconds to agree that, uh, you know, that Ross, the receiver, took three steps with the ball. Um, you know, I emailed with a bunch of people who know this stuff even more cold than I do, and they said it was a clear scoop and score, no question about it. I have no idea why the replay guys saw what they did, but that should have been a touchdown for the Buckeyes. No question. Well, that that really soured it up, but the Big Ten has been representing themselves very yeah. well. Let's start first with, uh, with with probably the the biggest win of a team, and that's Minnesota. I think we all kind of yeah. brace for impact after what Auburn did to a Big Ten team in a bowl game last year. Um, I think Purdue forgot that they were supposed to play that day, so we kind of mm-hmm. thought maybe the same thing would happen again with Minnesota, but P.J. Fleck, man, comes through, and, and, and the season had, had gone on a little bit of a downward spiral, but you know, to win in that way on a national scale, what are your thoughts after, after, uh, after watching that and what kind of platform they're on right now? Man, you said that beautifully because that was uh, the hesitation that we all had in picking, uh, you know, in wanting to pick Minnesota or picking Minnesota. Scarred by the <laughs> Purdue game last year where Auburn, it was like men against boys. But this Minnesota team is, is so tough physically, mentally, et cetera. I mean, how many one-handed catches were in that game? How many times is, you know, Ibrahim uh, bouncing off guys, you know, breaking three, four tackles? How many great calls are there on fourth and one that are executed? Just like sheer grit that determination um, and great football by those Gophers. So truly a beautiful uh, season-ending performance. One of those where you say, you know, when people call these bowl games insignificant, they don't know what they're talking about. And when people say all the draft-eligible players should just sit the game out, they often don't know what they're talking about because Tyler Johnson made himself some money in that game and, uh, you know, cemented his reputation as one of the Big Ten's best receivers in the last uh, 10, 20 years. And Nick Saban said that following Alabama's win with Michigan. I was going to talk about that game next in a great segue. Uh, you know, Bama had, had a great junior class, and a lot of those kids, Jerry, Judy included, who put up a career day yes. against Michigan. Uh, w- Michigan was in that game. You know, there was a couple of things late, a couple yep. of big plays. Mac Jones, I think, had 94 pass yards on three plays in a drive. That really put it away. But Michigan was a player two away. But, again, it, it, I feel like it, this, this is – we talk about this all the time with Coach Harbaugh. How, how do you take Michigan's season? Yeah, I mean, Michigan, it did at least show up for the bowl game, which is definitely better than uh, has been a couple of those bowls where – you know, they lose to Ohio State and then just check out. And then they're just, like, done. So Michigan season was another mixed bag. Uh, you know, started terribly, probably should have lost to Army, uh, got trucked by Wisconsin. Uh, but, you know, that Notre Dame game happened. And Notre Dame is a good team. Uh, obviously only lost twice. And they absolutely destroyed them. So Michigan did accomplish something this year. Um, you know, also beat up on a bad Michigan State team. So there, there, there were accomplishments. But at the end – you know, couldn't get it done. Shea Patterson just overthrowing the world, you know, overthrowing every receiver. I mean, he's got so many, four, five, six guys that if he throws the ball properly, Michigan gets a big gain. Uh, and right, and the inability to cover Alabama's uh, elite receivers, uh, that was the story of that game right there. No question. And, you know, again, as an underdog, Harbaugh struggles again in another Loss yep. for him in, into the postseason. Where do you fall? We've talked about the Big Ten a lot. Big Big Twelve was awful in bowl games. One just one win. Where do you Where do you kind of characterize conference superiority this time of year? Does it matter to you? Does do these not matter to you? Especially with guys sitting out, injuries, and coaches leaving, and all that other stuff. No, there's still a sense of pride. Um, you know, for the Big Ten, definitely would have liked to see Wisconsin win. Look, the punter dropped the ball. Uh, there were a couple weird things in that game. That's one of those. 
if they play 10 times, maybe Wisconsin wins six. You know, I feel like if Ohio State and Clemson play 10 times, the Buckeyes win seven. But they didn't win those games. And, you know, it kind of stings. I mean, you know, a lot of those end up being road games. So you want to say that a lot of these games, the Big Ten is three points down just to kick off. You know, when a team uh, like Iowa is playing in San Diego against USC. Um so that part about it, you know, we can't forget. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be – there's this other interesting one tonight with uh, with Tennessee, Indiana. Uh, how do the conferences stack up? The SEC feels a great deal of pride, and they should. I mean, they've shown up in a lot of bowl games, but Big Ten believers are not going to forget that Minnesota took out Auburn. Minnesota took out a team, you know, that beat Alabama. So I, I think conference pride is one of the great things about this bowl season and, uh, you know, live on because that's definitely one of the things we, uh, you know, we got bowl pools. Some of yeah. some people got gambling. And then after that, you got big Ten pride. Yeah. Well, it's the other interesting thing that's been happening in college is some some college coaches getting looks by professional teams and yeah. uh, Matt Rule of course coached yesterday with Baylor they got beat by Georgia but what do you think of this trend you know Lincoln Riley's a name that's been hot Matt Rule obviously Cliff Kingsbury takes the job college coaches are are starting to be on the speed dial some of these NFL teams is this a is this just a like a typical NFL thing that happens and then goes away or is are these guys seriously candidates to to do well in the NFL yeah, I mean, maybe there's been a little more openness because, like, Pete Carroll has done so well. Uh, the Urban Meyer one is really interesting and curious. Could he be a great NFL coach? I think Urban Meyer could be great at anything he does for a living. The problem is he takes losing so hard. Um, you know, even losing once or twice a year at Ohio State really, I don't want to say kills him because he really has had medical issues. But I think in the NFL – you have to have the mentality of, I mean, 11 and five is a great season or, or more realistically, if you take a job like the Redskins or the Browns, your first year, if you go six and 10, you, you're probably accomplishing something, but can a guy like urban Meyer handle losing 10 games? And can he handle a power structure where the players have more power than he does? I, I don't think it would be a good fit at all. So for him, I think he should just hold out for Notre Dame. Brian Kelly's not going to be there forever, but uh, sure, I can see why a guy like Matt Rule is unbelievably attractive to the pros because given what he's done in his last two stops, basically flipping programs in two years, uh, he's obviously got something special. You mentioned emails. Have you replied to the guy that wants UConn in the Big Ten yet? <laughs> yeah, I reply to like one out of every seven of his emails, <laughs> and I'll say, uh, you know, I'll say something like, "Man, uh, Illinois got the best of you, uh, huh? You, you still, you still think this is a." Team or like, you know, maybe an attendance stat, you know, UConn averages probably, I don't know, 20,000 fans a game. I'm like, yeah, I think, I think the Big Ten's looking for a, uh, a school that produces a little more revenue. But he is, uh, he is a train that um, there's no, you know, there's no stopping him. There's kind of no rational uh, argument that I can make that, that gets him off that uh, UConn to the Big Ten belief just like joe joe uh what's his last name goldberg or whatever and uh oh joe goldberg yeah. or joseph as uh you know as peach like to call him <laughs> in our in our show um in, in a perfect world how, do, how how would you structure a conference anymore mm. that's a great question you mean like the big 10 with 14 teams what yeah do you mean? yeah or are you, are you are you into the super conference thing or, or if you could you <sighs> no know, i'm give, not give, I, I like give smaller a particular team in the big 10 das boot uh, yeah, I, I really wish the Big Ten still had 12 teams um, because what they've done is they've just simply watered down their product. And, you know, Iowa fans, instead of getting to see Iowa play Michigan State, Iowa plays Maryland and Iowa plays, you know, Rutgers. And it's just it's just not as compelling a product. I mean, I know, Jim, I've talked to him and we had our talk and, oh, he got evaluated after 25 years or 50 years or whatever he said. And I, I guess. It is ending up being a moneymaker because of more inventory, as the TV business calls these games. But, you know, I always just wonder, uh, uh, five or ten years from now, maybe all these games will be a la carte. And instead of, you know, saying, oh, we have so many, you know, cable subscribers, are we even going to be talking about cable subscribers? Or are people less likely to order an Iowa Rutgers game than they would be uh, an Iowa-Michigan State game? So, 
I think 12 would have been a great number because um, I like when teams play each other a lot and visit each other a lot. Yeah, it's going to be interesting if, if that you know gets brought up anymore or if that, that gets shoved down for a while, especially with this college football playoff talk. Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. Teddy, it was, a pre- it was an honor, man. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining <laughs> us. Uh, I really appreciate the time, and hopefully you had just a tremendous holiday and New Year with the fam. Thank you, Ben. I did. It's been great. And let's uh, let's talk next week, and let's see if we can figure out who that uh, winner is, is LSU Clemson, man, because I'm already going back and forth about 15 times. Should be fun, man. Teddy, thanks so much. Have a great night, Ben. See you, buddy. Nate, did you make it to 12 o'clock on New Year's? In an upset, yes. I, I had a tough time believing it myself. We were at a, uh, at a gathering, and uh, our son Bobby was fast asleep a couple of floors up, but we we rang in the new year by me playing pool badly, which uh, doesn't surprise you, I'm sure, after my display in Ann Arbor a couple of years ago. <laughs> well, you uh, you definitely let the team down that night. Yeah, so. it was pretty bad. <laughs> I wasn't very good New Year's Eve either. How were you? <laughs> I, I take it you rang in the new year live. We did. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a night owl as it is. My my wife is not hmm. um she was a trooper i think i think we rolled into the driveway about twelve forty-five. Oh, okay so we made it we crossed the finish line but it's not like we were sprinting to the car either yeah, th- there was a time where i could stay up till 2 a.m those days are long 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 past and that's saying something because i remember nights in here and josh was even here for some of these nights where the three of us were rolling out of here at 3 3 30 in the morning sure just just YOLO in it. Yeah, yeah. We were also young and crazy then. <laughs> it was different times, different, uh, a different sleep schedule too. I mean, it, it helps when you have another adult in the room saying, "Wake up!" Yeah, and some, up. sometimes some of us fell asleep in our chairs. It happens, you know. <laughs> uh, the office chairs here are exceptionally comfy, and I was working hard. Damn it! <laughs> it was Iowa week. It was a short week. Yeah, man. Good stuff there. All right. Uh, well, hopefully you can get adequate sleep tonight. Going to go check out the Scurs tomorrow? I believe I'll watch on television. boy. So there you go. There we are. Thanks for sitting in. I enjoyed it. Appreciate Thanks it. for having me. Thanks to all of our guests tonight, Ian Rappaport. Thanks to Matt Coatney. Thanks to Amy Williams. And, of course, Teddy Greenstein. Thanks to our help in the back. Boys always busting their tails for us, Josh Hilkeman and Brett Woody. Thanks to all of you for spending part of your new year, 2020, with us. That's it for us for the week. We're back with you on Monday night. Husker Hoops has you tomorrow. Huskers and Scarlet Knights right here on the Husker Sports Network. Have a great night. We'll talk next week.